This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week, Major Garrett. Let me set the scene for you. We're at Central Michelle Richard in the Penn Quarter of Washington, D.C., that's right between Capitol Hill and the White House, right across from what will soon to be the formerly known as Trump Hotel here in downtown D.C. So you w- listen to or watch this show because you are curious about or fascinated by American politics. And you know, because you're in that category, that polling in America, that is to say public policy polling or polling about who's going to win or who's going to lose an election or who might win or might lose an election, is in something of, and you've seen this written down, an existential crisis. Why? Because there is a perception grounded in data that 2016 and 2020, the polls were mostly wrong. Well, there is a couple, or there are a couple of exceptions to that, and we are going to be talking with probably the most notable exception to that 2016-2020 polling failure. His name is Robert Cahaley, Trafalgar Group. You were more accurate than anyone in 2016. You were more accurate in other races not involving Donald Trump in 2020 and in this most recent 2021 cycle in New Jersey and Virginia governor's races, you were also more correct than anyone else. Have I got that right? Except for uh, on the state polls in 2020, we had more number one state polls than anyone else, too. So your we, did, we didn't do national polls in that one. You did not. Okay. So your group is known as kind of a different type of polling group within the polling sphere. You do things differently. You believe the way you do things differently creates a higher success rate. So tell my audience, what are some of your biggest successes and what is your method that leads you to them or led you to them? Well, um, so most recently in uh, this year, 2021, uh, in the Virginia race, uh, we had the, uh, I think the final number was 2 per, two per Two tenths of a point off from the actual number, and the uh, 1.2 off in New Jersey, and uh, and then in 2020, uh, we had five of the we had the the best poll in Texas, uh, Florida, Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina, and Ohio, and uh, and then North Carolina Senate and the uh, Senate race in uh, Arizona, and you know even the ones that 
some of the ones that we were off, we were off by one or two points. Uh, our average error rate, uh, according to 538, was uh, 2.6. Uh, we think it was a little lower than that, we, but we're not going to uh, argue over that. All the other polling companies are in the three and four and five range. Right. And we love, uh, Robert, to tell our audience about things that they hear mentioned in a relaxed way, but they may not remember. 538, what's that? Yeah, that uh, it's a, a polling aggregate site that um, uh, Nate Silver uh, runs. I think he started it uh, at some point, uh, maybe during the, the Obama's, uh, Obama's election. And uh, we're our polls are included there uh you know he, he's not the biggest fan of us we're not always the biggest fan of him but he is he is master statistician and we'll give him that and then real clear politics is the other place that lists most of the polls uh, and that, if that i do. understand it correctly 538 gives you an a minus grade in polling in america currently yes up and from a c minus in 2016 and i'm 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 sure i'm sure they were excited about giving us that grade <laughs> but uh but you know I, fair is fair so let me ask you this. Uh, you're more right than wrong, or at least have been recently. Why? What is it that you do differently? And what do you think, more importantly, other entities that conduct polls are missing or doing in old ways that are no longer relevant to the current times? Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's the old ways. I mean, so many, uh, you know, th- there's kind of polling orthodoxy, and a lot of that involves the traditional method of having to rely on strictly live callers, uh, long surveys, uh, short, uh, small sample sizes. So like, as an example, we don't poll a state with under 1,000. So not you gonna, never do a statewide poll that has less than 1,000 respondents? That's right. Okay. Uh, one, it, it keeps your error rate really low, and I just think it, it is hard to represent an entire to get the feeling of a whole state when doing it that way. And just briefly, because I think this is really important, every poll is a mathematical extrapolation. You take a sample size and then you extrapolate what it means across the state. And you're saying if your sample size in any given state is 400 or 600, it's from its basis, not as good as 1,000. Yeah, you, you started, you, you've handicapped yourself. You've got to be really good to get it right. The more you sample, the more you're going to get it right, even if you don't do it very well. I mean, if you did 10,000, I mean, yes, it'd be prohibitively expensive, but it would be a pretty darn good poll. Uh, the other thing uh, we think is really important is, is questionnaire size. Some of these guys, God bless them, but these polls are so long. And I mean, by that you mean 20, 20 30. 30, 40, 105 questions. I mean, like, I always I ask people, most times I speak in any audience, like, how many of you would take a 30-question poll? I mean, like, I like politics. I'm not sure, depending on what I had to do, whether I would take a 30-question poll. A 30-question poll is at least a commitment of 15 to 20 minutes. If, at least. If they're doing a good job. But maybe a half an hour. Oh, absolutely. And so w- what happens is you end up getting people who care too much. They're too liberal. They're too conservative. Or worse, they're bored. And they need somebody to talk to. And, you know... In the modern day, you know, people are not sitting around the parlor waiting on the telephone to ring. And, oh, Margaret, we have a phone call from a political survey. That's, that's not reality. You know, it's like the phone rings and you know, usually, you know, 
uh, if you call in the home who's line, bothering us now? Yeah, you know, you're calling the home line. I don't, I don't believe in home lines very much, but you're calling a cell phone. And you're talking to a, a lady. Maybe she's got a couple kids at the table. She's, she's trying to finish something. She's got to do for her job. She's got dishes in the dishwasher. I mean, like, she's not going to talk. I mean, so what is the average length of a Kahaley Trafalgar Group survey? We try to have you done in three minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes. And we like, and because what we found is the first question we get is, how long is this going to take? That's what everybody says. How long is this going to take? And so we like to be able to say, it's just four questions or it's just three minutes. You know, it, it's just five questions. But give them a sense. I mean, even, even if, you know, I mean, that, not assuming they answer it quickly. Sometimes people take a minute. But if we did our part right, they can finish in three minutes. It might take them four because they don't answer it quickly. So some of my audience might be saying to ourselves, wow, you must have some really potent questions if you can learn so much in three minutes. Well, I mean, here's the thing. First of all, we don't believe in spending a lot of time on demographic questions because it's 2021. You already know. We know. <laughs> we know this information. I love when they ask, are you registered to vote? I'm like, what in the heck are you doing? Is the is this address where you live? Oh, that's great. Give them a real sense of anonymity. Ask them that. I mean, I'm just sitting there like, are these guys for real? And so, so so demographics skip. Yeah, we we skip most of that. And and the other thing is, on a lot of the stuff that you can get on consumer data, it's not accurate. You know, our premise is people lie. People lie to their doctor. They lie to their lawyer. They lie to their priest. And all of a sudden, they become honest aid when they take a poll. No. That's not reality. And so, you know, I love that. Well, we're going to ask people what their income is or education level. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're definitely. What we found is they're always going to up it a little bit. Whatever it is, they're going to tell you it's better than it is. Right. People are Embellishment not Embellishment is a natural human characteristic. Is, exactly. God bless and, us and, all And people are going to do that. Exactly. So, you know, I see this and I'm like, all right, well, so they waste a lot of time doing that. It also, I think, the part of the problem is people are very hesitant these days. Uh, you know, it started with the what we call the shy Trump voter, and mm-hmm. you know, this is what's called the social desirability bias. Right, and I'm going to stop you right there, Robert Kaley, because I want to talk about that desirability index, the shy Trump voter, and all your methods when we come on the other side of this break. I'm Major Garrett. We're at Central Michelle Richard Restaurant, Penn Quarter, D.C. Back for segment two in just one second. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout 
with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Again, setting the scene at Central Michelle Richard, Penn Quarter, D.C. We're in between the lunch and the dinner hour. That's why there's this sort of expanse of empty tables behind us. But fear not. Chris is here. Please, Chris, come into the view of the cameras. Take our late lunch order, if you'd be so kind. Absolutely. I will have French onion soup and some of the cheese and mac, please. I'll have French onion soup and the uh, goat cheese Caesar. Excellent. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. So, we had a grabber right before we went to break. Well, I'm going to clear it one thing. So, this whole idea that you got the whole restaurant for me, that's not real. No, no. Okay, we did not buy the whole restaurant and reserve it just for our private party. I'm I'm a little bit crushed right now. I'll have to get past that. (laughs) Life's full of disappointments, right? Oh, I know it. I'm a Braves fan, man. This is my first year ever <laughs> having a good year. <laughs> well, wait till you're a Padres fan, okay? But we won't discuss that. So, uh, you were talking about the shy Trump voter and this idea that and people, when they talk to pollsters, there's a certain idea that they don't want to reveal all about themselves because they don't want to be judged, if I heard you correctly. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's called the social desirability bias. And it is a phenomenon where a person, when speaking to another live person, tends to cater their answer to the person asking them the question so so they'll be looked at in a positive light uh you know the i think we were talking earlier about the, some refer to it as the bradley effect i think there's a bradley duke majin race in in california race where, for governor right where Br- bradley uh was leading in all the polls and then lost. mayor of los angeles right and so this you know this this effect is is real and it it was significant in 2016, and it just it went off the charts in 2020. And significant in what sense in 2016? What was it that you were able to detect that other pollsters couldn't about not only the support for then Republican nominee, soon to be President Donald Trump, and in relationship to Hillary Clinton? Well, there's a couple there's a couple ways you you, you find it. Uh, the first is in in your collection method. Uh, there are ways to ask. There, there, there's some tricks to, when you're asking with live callers to help eliminate the effect a little more. But we learned very early that any anything uh, in 2016, we saw a significant difference between, in, in those days, the automated uh, calls and the live calls. And the difference uh, in the primaries, which kind of first alerted me to this, was that the automated was right and the live was wrong. And, again, to explain to our audience, what's the difference between a live call and an automated call? So a live call is when you have somebody, uh, an actual human being in a call center calling uh, and asking people the questions. And an automated is when they can tell that it's uh, you know being read the answers. Uh, so it's an uh, like a recorded voice. I mean, we and then you push a, push a button. On your keypad or on your live, on your phone, and that's right. how you answer. Right. That's the difference. Okay. The limitation for automated that has really changed a lot over the few years is that you have to do those on home phones. You can't do those on cell phones. And so I, they're really on the way to being extinct. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't rely on those much anymore. But in 2016, it was what demonstrated the gap. And so we, we it helped us see the gap the first time. The other thing was we noticed a lot of people were voting who hadn't voted in a very long time. So, two points there. When people in 2016 during the primaries had what they 
felt was this veil between them and the pollster, meaning pushing a button and not answering a live person. They were more truthful and more pro-Trump than they were in the live calls. Without question. Without question. Okay. So, I, you know, everybody who's in any of this business learned something from people along the way. And one of the guys I learned a good bit was a guy named Rod Sheely, uh, who passed on a few years back. But he, he was, a, he was a, a, I grew up doing South and politics in South Carolina. And it's, you know, it's a kind of a full contact sport there. Very rough and tumble. With presidential campaigns every few years. And so, but Rod had this thing. He said, you, you have to give people a polite way to tell you something impolite. And so one of the tricks he uses is ask the neighbor question. Well, all right, so here's how, that's how you're voting. All right, how would you say most of your neighbors are voting? And that's a vehicle for someone to, to tell you the truth. And so what we found, uh, so we employ, after what we saw in the primaries, we employed that on our live calls. We started asking the neighbor question. And what we found is there was a difference. And the greater the difference of the number of people who said that they were for Hillary uh, in the first ballot test and then said they were for, uh, that their neighbors were for Trump, it, 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 was, it varied state by state. And the wider it was, we, we, we started to realize, all right, it's all one way. It's never the other way. Meaning, if you call me and I'm on the other end of the line and I say, well, I'm undecided, and you say, okay. How do you think most of your neighbors are going to vote? Oh, they're all for Trump. What well, do you hear from that? Well, actually, but more it was, I'm for Hillary. I'm voting for Hillary, but uh. my neighbors, they're all for Trump. And, and so, but we, we could see, it was certainly with Undecided, but we could see that this Even was... Even with Hillary's, that wasn't exactly what was going on. Right. Oh, we, yeah, you could definitely... It, it was it, the opposite of what was going on. Exactly. But it wasn't... They were with their neighbors. They just didn't want to say that. But nobody was saying they were for Trump and not for Hillary. I mean, they, they were for Trump and they were actually for Hillary. Right. That, there was, we didn't see that anywhere. Right. There were no shy Hillary voters in Trump land. Well, yeah. And there was nobody who said, oh, my neighbors are for Hillary and I'm for Trump. Like, that was, that was not a number. It was, but <laughs> that was cropping up in 2016. Right. But, you know, the, and then you have to add to it. I mean, this is hard to you know, kind of getting one of the things we do different is like add to it. All right. You know, how do you, you get a sense of what's happening? Well, it's, you know, it started with just, you have to pay attention. I think scientific all these numbers look at all this is a good way to do things but you have to use good sense and good judgment too you can't just say well this is the model and this is the way you have to do it i mean we lived in a world where everybody knew somebody who was for trump who didn't want to have a sign in their yard there were there were people that i had friends that were actually worked for him who didn't put a sticker on their car because of where they parked at night so that was not a normal thing. That was not something would have happened with Romney or Bush or McCain. That, that it was right. different. So you have to realize the model is gonna have to change. You know, you can't just say, "Well, this is the way we've always done it." You have to. You have to be willing to recognize that the world changes, people's attitudes change. So now we've we we we've used the neighbor question occasionally, but we have other methods. We really like different collection methods, like we use text, we use emails, online platforms, and, and, and so we can mix all those with live calls and get a really good sense. Uh, of peop- the more people are, feel that the poll is anonymous, the more honest they're going to be. And so we're going to do a bigger survey. We, we have some other methods that we're not... Uh, we learned a- after 2016, everyone started copying our neighbor question. 
and they know who they are, and I called them out on Twitter for doing it. Um, but, yeah, we learned that we're not going to tell everybody every, every one of our little tricks. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of different ways to, to skin this cat that's Thank a little different. Chris. Diff- You're welcome. French onion soup has arrived. Looks wonderful. Thank you. But you, but you can't argue. I mean, you can't argue with the averages. I mean, you know, we we get people beating us. Oh, a, you know, a broke clock is right twice a day. And all. Well, hey, you know, sixteen all the way to present. I mean, the, our error rate is just so low compared to everybody else. So, you don't have to like it, but it, the the model has changed. People you, have changed. Life is different, and you have to adjust. Robert, do you consider yourself or your firm a pro-Trump polling outfit? You know, that's the. Th- I do not like when people – the way I look at politics is it's no secret. I'm a Republican. But, you know, when I was in college, my favorite professor was an adjunct professor named Don Fowler, who actually was the chairman of the DNC at one point. And he was a Democrat operative his whole life. And the first thing he said the first day of class was, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat operative. I'm a, De- I'm a Democrat officer. Take what I say, knowing where I come from. And so, in a world where so many of these quote unquote independent media pollsters have an agenda they won't tell you, yes, I'm a Republican. But if you think I'm going to make a poll look positive for somebody because of what party I'm in, then you don't know me very well. I like being right more than anything. That is the voice of Robert Cahaley, our special guest. We are at Central Michel Richard Restaurant. Thank you. Get that French through me very easily, or maybe not. Back for segment three in just one second. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to the show. Robert Cahaley is our special guest, Trafalgar Group, the most accurate polling group in the last 2016, 2020, 2021 cycle. We're explaining and learning how. However you find the show, our early adopters on podcast platforms, great to have you with us. Radio stations around the country, more than 70. We appreciate you being here, catching the vibe of the show, Paramount Plus, CBSN, Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124. However you find the show, thanks for being along for the ride. And because these distinctions matter, I want to clarify something. Robert, you have never been a Trump campaign pollster, have you? No, I've never been paid by the, uh, the Trump campaign. Um, and, uh, you know, the, my main thing is I'm going to tell you what I think is real. I, I, you know, we're not going to be in the tank for anybody. I mean, it, when, when we, you know, we do, work, we do work sometimes for campaigns. And I, I have worked for PACs and things like that, but I did not work directly for the campaign. And and the other thing that's important is that there are two kinds of polls that you put out there. And uh, this is a point of contention. I think it's important distinction. And we always put this on our social media. If it is a poll we are doing uh, that was, you know, 
a public poll that we want to put out there in the information space to the media, then we pay, we're paying for it. And we, and we say, now, when it has a sponsor, so like if it was for a pack or something, then we'll put, you know, co-sponsored by this pack. But I think that's an important distinction because people need to understand. I mean, you know, some say, well, it's internal. I get that. But the main thing that's important is that, yeah, there are probably partisan pollsters who would rather uh, say things that make their candidates or their causes happy than get it right. We're not one of those because we know that we don't have any more business if we if we constantly so get things wrong. if those in our audience... Um However they find us, podcasts, Paramount Plus, terrestrial, satellite, digital streaming, go to Real Clear Politics, and many of them do, and many of them will in the future, and they see a Trafalgar Group poll, that's a business development poll of yours. That's in the public sphere. That is not sponsored or paid for by a candidate or a PAC, correct? That's right. That's exactly right. And, you know, if you look on our social media, you'll see lots of other polls that do not appear on, on some of these media outlets because those are ones that are paid for. Mm-hmm. And so we make it clear what the, when, when that is the case. Uh, but regardless, you know, believe you me, one of the hardest things to do is to tell somebody who is writing you a check for a poll what they do not want to hear. Bad news. And I'm, t- I'm telling you, it, it is, there, there are a lot of people in this industry who, who, who tell people all the rosy stuff. And yet... Um, I'd rather t- Pull the Band-Aid off. I've covered politics at the national level since 1990, my first presidential campaign, 1992. One of the iron rules I've learned uh, from people who are experienced and skilled at this is believe bad polls. Believe bad news and act accordingly. Don't dismiss bad news. Believe it. Don't tell yourself that it can't be true or it can't happen because it probably is. <laughs> it's funny. That's one of the pieces of advice I always give candidates. like, well, should I do a poll? And I'm like, well, it changed what you do. Because if it's not going to affect your behavior, then don't waste your money. <laughs> you know, and, and that really does, it, it matters. Like, do you really want to know? And, and the fact is, you know, most candidates are shocked. Oh, my, I, there's no way my name recognition is that low. And I'm like, you thought it was that high? <laughs> I mean, man, maybe in your house full of mirrors is that high, but that is not in the real world. Right. I mean, average people aren't really sure the difference between a state senator and a U.S. senator. People that vote. <laughs> right. And people don't understand just how little average, <clears throat> average people have real lives. They have stuff to do. They mm. don't listen to political podcasts. No, no. They're out there doing real stuff. They're paying bills. They're taking care of kids. They, they've got other stuff to do. And so, that's what you got to recognize is the world doesn't revolve around people who live for politics. Right. So on election day this year, I was on the set of CBS Mornings, and uh, we were doing a segment on what was going to have a lot of focus on Virginia, the governor's race there, for obvious reasons. And then Gail King, before, before the segment ended, said, what else are you going to be looking at tonight? And I said, keep your eye on the New Jersey governor's race. And everyone around the table's like, oh God, Major's lost it. What's going on? And sure enough, that was something to keep an eye on, because uh, Everyone involved in that governor's race really kept an eye on it all night, the next morning, and the next day, because it was much closer. Phil Murphy, the incumbent Democrat, won, but it was a very, very close race, closer than any of the polls except yours indicated. And one of the pieces of information I used was your poll. Others was sort of under-the-radar frantic activity of the Murphy campaign, bringing in former President Obama and doing other things that told me their internals showed something disruptive in the data. What did you see in New Jersey? What was going on in New Jersey? 
it was one of those things where people, you know, there's people who said, hey, you ought to be looking at New Jersey. I mean, God bless my The guy will say it probably 20 or 30 times. Every time I turned around on, on like, the business shows, like Neil Cavuto was saying, something's going on in New Jersey. Something's going on in New Jersey. And I kept hearing him say that. And, and a lot of what we do is kind of anecdotal. When you hear stuff, it makes you want to look into it. And so we just kept hearing that. And I'm like, I started looking at all the other polls. And I noticed, man, that Murphy's sitting there at 50. I mean, for an incumbent governor, he's not over 50 in any of these things. That's a lot of undecided. I was like, no. Nah, we, so we, we decided, hey, we saw another opportunity to, to kind of differentiate ourselves from the crowd. And so we got in there and, and, and pulled it, and we saw it very uh, – we saw him stuck right around 49, and we did not think that he was going to close very hard. We saw most of the undecideds breaking against him. Uh, he was a known entity. There was a lot of enthusiasm uh, for the other side. And uh, the uh, Democrats in New Jersey and, and pretty much Virginia, some of the, some of the they've alienated some of their base uh, with some of the policies. Uh, there was just an overall feeling that they weren't handling things well, uh, you know, kind of generic ballot stuff. But we just we had a real sense of that, and so when we looked at it. It, it was kind of where we thought it would be, uh, and I was like, "Well, we're gonna, we're gonna go out there." It ended. Up, I think it ended up. We had it at like four point two, and it ended up like two point nine or something like that. Uh, so it was it was very close. Is there anything from that experience, and also from Virginia, that is relevant for the kind of work you will do, or what Americans should expect to see in the midterms coming up? Well, we are a political lifetime away from midterms. I know everybody wants to tell you how it's over already. What he just said, write it down, folks. Memorize it. We are a lifetime away from the midterms. Yeah. Everybody needs to think about 1991 and 1992. That's a big difference. Mm -hmm. So I I know everything looks like just a Republican landslide, but a lot of things can happen. A lot of things affect politics. I mean, you know, when Trump was sitting there in November of uh, 2019 nobody knew what COVID was I mean that radically affected his uh, his election so I mean the, the, these things can happen I mean there are international conflicts I mean you know God forbid some kind of a terrorism there's so many things that can completely derail uh, what people expect to happen in politics so but I think the things to be looking for is you, you've, you've seen a, a movement of the parents this this whole thing with the looking at with COVID with looking at what the kids were doing at school school curriculum school procedures parents have a greater awareness of what's going on uh, and there's a lot of frustration on parents part about uh, vaccines and masks and childhood development and you also Thank see it with like a lot of the college kids age because you know, these guys... No, he's still working on it. They're not so afraid of, of, of COVID, and, and this was a block that the Democrats had really locked up. But, you know, you can't campaign in 2020 saying you're all going to get free tuition, and then now you can't even go to class, and you've, you've got to do a bunch of things that you don't think you need. And that's what So anyway, seeing. education has become a powerful issue and not necessarily the historically advantageous issue it has been for Democrats. And, and, the, and the government overreach uh, as 
as with the, in the people's daily lives with with, with COVID is is a certainly a big one. There's been a lot of rebellion on that. We got a lot of uh, folks that are frustrated like that. We uh, we see some major movement in the African American community over vaccine mandates, and uh, we also see uh, the the thing with the, the border is is taking on a life its own. It's not just about immigrants crossing the border. It's people in states a long way away, like in New Hampshire, saying the border is why that there's so many opioids. The, the, they the, tie the those fentanyl. two things together. Yeah, the, the, the connection's being made now. I think the numbers, you know, 60, 70% of the overdoses are fentanyl. And so there's this recognition that the border isn't, is a problem. And there's just too much footage. You can't tell people, you know, things aren't happening that they see happening. But the main two things we're seeing, and, and I think that this is what's in the way of Build Back Better, it's what is this idea. That Robert, let me hold you on that because we've got to go for a break real quick. We'll get back to that thought about what else you're seeing, especially in relation to Build Back Better. Robert Cahaley is our special guest. I'm Major Garrett, segment for the takeout in just one moment. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to segment four of The Takeout. Central Michelle Richard is our location, Penn Quarter, Washington, D.C. Robert Cahaley is our special guest. Trafalgar Group is his polling company. Don't ask, don't believe me, just read 538 or Real Clear Politics, the most accurate or one of the most accurate polling firms of the last two cycles, three cycles if you count 2021. Robert, I stopped you in mid-thought about what you're seeing in the polling data about Build Back Better and other things possibly relevant to the midterms. It was one of the things we discovered early in Virginia. Uh, with all, at that time, a lot of the governors were doing the thing where they were canceling the extra $300 in federal subsidy for unemployment. And, you know, we just asked, should the governor of Virginia do that? And that was the most bipartisan agreement. We were 62% of all Virginians said yes. Cancel it. Yes. Because people have this perception, and it has grown, that the government is at the heart of fouling up everything. Because they can tell people, oh, people aren't going back to work because of COVID or whatever they want to say it is. But what they tell us is, no, no, no. My cousin. He, he, you know, he, he wasn't paying rent. He, he was just sitting home doing nothing. Or I, you know, I run a cafe, and the guy, you know, he guy says, "Hey, and I can't find any employees." Or, or, you know, one of the guys had a car dealership, and he said, "We can't find somebody to drive around in a brand new car and pick people up." For gosh sakes! So everyone, so is the problem is when you can't tell people something they know isn't true, and so this or argue- does not match their lived experience, or their anecdotal reality. Exactly. And so there, there is this perception that this, all this government involvement, all this government money has made inflation go crazy and is, just, and is working against the work ethic. And a lot of people think Build Back Better means more people not working and getting checks from the government. And therefore, you detect more resistance to that than perhaps the White House believes or 
congressional Democrats are allowing themselves to believe. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, because people, whether it's supply chain, whatever it is, when you come back down to it, people say, well, the supply chain's about truckers. And then you see stories about how there are no truckers to drive the trucks. Or it, and so it, it comes down to this idea that everything got all fouled up because of the, the government's intervention and government get out of our way. And that's there's just so much a feeling of that, that people are kind of ready to get past all of it. And they see inflation as a symptom and that it's just part of the problem. I want to ask you this broader question, because um, I think you have some insights into it. Um, as you mentioned this a moment ago, Republicans are feeling like the midterms are a lock, landslide coming our way. You would caution them based on what? What would you say, hey, Republicans, wake up? There's something else out there that you should be aware of. And I think one of the things that might be is there's still a sentiment that both parties are lousy <laughs> and both parties can go to heck. That is exactly what I was about to say. I think that when people get this frustrated with the government, a throw-the-bums-out mentality can take place. Uh, just voting against all incumbents can take place. And so I, so people are frustrated. You know, you see these generic bouts where they, they're willing to give the Republicans another chance, and, the, and they're not confident in the Democrats because they, they don't really understand what's going on. And when you look at what their priorities are, you know, Every, uh, on the national issues, the Democrats seem to spend a great deal of time on uh, climate change and social issues, uh, you know, social reform or equality, equity issues, and they're they're just not in the top five. Neither one of those is in the top five, and so they're they're de- definitely not where not where the voting electorate is. And when people get really frustrated, you know, they they're going to act out. You know, you, you told all these young people they're going to have free college and they didn't get it. Right. Let me ask you this. Based on your surveys, what do you believe those who are self-identified Republicans believe happened in the 2020 election? Do they believe there was something amiss and they're not sure what it was? Or do they believe outright it was stolen and there was massive fraud engineered by the other party? I believe it's they think it's everything, the entire spectrum there. Everyone has a different perspective. Everyone gives you a. There's there there's some. I mean, the, what you just said that a whole range exists from people who think it was complete. There was no problems uh, to, you know, that it, it was. I mean, the, some of the craziest conspiracies you've ever heard. And so, but what we have found is there's agreement, and it's it's almost bipartisan. Is that if all the states had gotten their stuff together in the way like a Texas and Florida did. And they had announced all the election votes on election night and announced Biden would win, there would be a different opinion. And there's also a consensus that if they didn't. So the time lag, the perceived time lag or the real time lag created space for doubt. Right. That 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 metastasized in some instances to outright suspicion and conviction that the election was stolen. Absolutely. There, there are people who, who have all these different theories. And, and so, but this idea that if, if some states can do it, why can't all states? Why can't all states count all the absentees? Why can't they all give us numbers? I mean, that's what we keep hearing. And there is a consensus that the rule changes did affect the election. Now, be good or bad, I mean, 
they were changed. And so, and, and some of the rules were changed within the law. Some of them weren't, but a lot of people don't understand the Electoral College either. Sure. But, but as an example of what you just said, because I've spent a lot of time on this particular subject, in Pennsylvania, for example, election officials at the county level and Democrats in the state legislature begged Republicans to allow them to pre-process absentee ballots so they could be rapidly counted on election day. They were refused. Florida and Texas do that. That's one of the reasons that they count their ballots so much more rapidly. They can open the envelopes, get them ready to be processed through the reading machines, but if you have to open them, and you can only open and touch them on election day, that slows the process down. So in that particular case in Pennsylvania, I only speak to Pennsylvania because I know a lot about it, the reason the results, one of the big reasons the results were delayed is because they couldn't prepare the ballots for counting. But and Republicans the, stood in the way of that. But in Pennsylvania, wasn't there an issue about postmarks and, and return addresses? Too? Yes, but that, the Pope... That but was the, why but, the Republicans, I think, were standing in the way. Yes, but in the end, the, the ballots that were postmarked after Election Day weren't, weren't even part of the final total because there was, a, there was litigation about that. My only point is that some of these things persist, and they're not really grounded in a genuine reality, but as you said, they're perceived and they're believed, and that's all that matters. I, I, you know... There's no question. Pe- people's perception of what happened is, is is very. I mean, you know, you could ask people, you know, wh- what did you, you know, what did you think of the game? And some people want to talk about the offense. Some are going to talk about the defense. Some are going to talk about the band. Everybody has a different perception of, of how it is. Uh, but it's like <clears throat> if, if you're watching a, a a baseball game and you are sure. That the, the ump just made a few critical mistakes that lost the game. You don't give up on baseball. Right. And so this argument that, that people, just, they're just going to tear it all down. No. Most people are saying, hey, if there's some problems in the elections, let's fix them. Nobody wants anybody disenfranchised. But people want all the, you know, the votes to be legit. And anything that it gives more transparency, everybody can agree with. The mm-hmm. good chain of custody, everybody can agree that's a good idea. Move on and don't give up. I think we'll leave it right there. Fix it. Robert Haley, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. For those on CBSN and our podcast platform, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects. But there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett, again, setting the scene for you. We are at Central, Michelle Richard. Chris, our waiter, will be coming in any moment. We are told with a signature dessert, which we are going to be... Oh, there it is. Here we are. It looks very seasonal, I would say. Yeah, this is the signature holiday dessert of ours. It's the snowman. The snowman. So the snowman is sweetened meringue, complete with his chocolate hat. He's filled with vanilla, house-made vanilla ice cream, and he's on a snowy bed of fresh sweetened whipped cream and raspberry sauce. 
with some berries as well. And Chris, we thank you for that. <laughs> Robert Haley is our special guest. Trafalgar Group, polling group, most accurate 2016, 2020, and 2021. Confounding so many in the uh, professionalized world of polling. Are you? Do you consider yourself a professional pollster? I don't know what that means. Is there like a registration area or well, a bureau or something? Well, well, they have an association, but the association doesn't like our methodology. So, uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't think they want us in that club. And that's do okay. you adopt the Groucho Marx uh, sentiment that you'd never want to be a member of a club that would have you in it. <laughs> No, I mean, I think I think it's just more. That's sort of where I land. Well, I mean, we are used to being an outlier, so it doesn't surprise us to be an outcast. I mean, this industry is full of people who are have a partisan agenda with what they poll, and they're pushing it, or people you know who are trying you know are trying to achieve trying to achieve something other than getting the numbers right. And I don't really understand that. Mm-hmm. I think that polling should be about reflecting the electorate, not affecting the electorate. But, hey, none of them got fired, so maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> so you've said two things uh, in the course of our conversation, Robert, that I think are worth repeating. One, you were quoting one of your mentors who said, find a way to allow people a polite way to say something that's impolite. And what you just said, reflect the electorate, not affect it. Yeah. Those seem to me pretty powerful baseline, foundational approaches to what you do, and what a lot of us should do when thinking about and engaging in politics. I mean, that's what, what's frustrating to me is that there isn't any accountability on it. And what's, but I will, I will, I will say this in defense of you know some of the ones who, who got it wrong in Virginia, like and and New Jersey, they're in, in the game. So as much as people want to, you know, talk about, well, these guys got it wrong, what's worse is the ones who claim to be reflect public opinion but don't do campaigns anymore. Guess what? That's the only test we get. So if you won't if you're if you're afraid to poll campaigns, something that you you figure out whether you're right or wrong, then what are you doing? That's like a lawyer who doesn't want to go to trial. I mean, so and there are a lot of firms out there now who just we don't do campaigns. That's because you can't pass the test. That's because your margin of error rate is ridiculous. Uh, the sound effect you might be hearing in your back of your mind is... <laughs> no, so. it, it's, it, it's just frustrating because some of these guys, you know, they all want to sit on Thank their you, for the horses and talk about it and talk about their valuations. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's a joke. Right. Because you, you don't get elections right. I don't know what you do get right. So, Robert, what we do on the show with every guest we have, and we've done it for nearly five years, our audience loves the answers. You might be familiar with it because I think you've listened to a show or two. (laughs) We call them the three threshold questions. Uh Um, So, in whatever order you prefer, most influential book in your life, it could be a book you read as a young person, college, whatever, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you're driving or flying somewhere and there's a long distance involved and you really are going to indulge yourself in some music you really like, what's that music likely to be? By artist or genre. Okay, um, movies is kind of a twofer. It depends on what mood I'm in. Uh, I like Spies Like Us is my favorite comedy movie. <laughs> That's a great movie. It, it, it just, I mean, you just can't. At the height of their comedic game. Absolutely, and the, the, the political humor in it was amazing. Uh, and my more dramatic movie, it got to be American Gangster. Uh, really, really like uh, Denzel's role in that, and mm-hmm. just the way he just. He's the best, and he demonstrated very well. Um, 
a book growing up. And it could be a contemporary book, too. I didn't mean to oh, put my thumb on the scale there. Well, I read a few biographies on uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson. I, I found those fascinating. But one of the books that they made me read in college, that, uh, and it's actually two volumes, was, um, and it's ironic that we're here in a French restaurant, was uh, Democracy in America. Yes. Hopeful. Uh, just the insight when you think about how long ago that he understood Americans in this way and the unique thought that makes us different from the entire social order in Europe. And it just, we still fit so many of those molds today. Now, if I was going to be a a long trip, it really depends uh, kind of on the weather. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If it's dark, I want like, you know, big band Sinatra type music. But if, but if it's, um, you know, if maybe jazz, but if it's, uh, if it's sunny or something, uh, definitely going to some kind of uh, probably going to be listening to some kind of oh, shoot. Uh, obviously, I like a lot of '80s music, and '90s music, and, uh, and if I'm in the right mood, I listen to entire Eminem. Eminem, there we go. Not exactly what I was expecting you to say, Robert Cahaley. Uh, That's you'd very be surprised good. how many how many lyrics I know by heart. <laughs> That is very, very good. And I'm going to end with this sentiment, which I think you'll agree with. If you are frustrated with America now and you want to become a little bit less frustrated, read to Tocqueville and understand some of the essences and the great strengths and foundational truths of this country, you'll feel a little less angry about America. Agreed? Yeah. It's, it's, I was almost like Nostradamus for America. He saw where who we were and where we were going, and he's still right. Exactly. Robert Cayley, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for being Thank at The you. Takeout. We'll see you next week, folks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Wondery Plus.